Hello, hello. How's everybody doing tonight? All right. Well, welcome back. I hope you enjoyed last week off if you are a regular with us. If this is your first time, then welcome. We are so thankful to have you. Um, man, I hope y'all just enjoyed celebrating with friends and family. Hopefully you weren't a part of any of the viral videos I saw of fingers blowing up or anything else, just being reckless. But um, I just, before I go, I got reminded that when I gave kind of the recap of where my life has been, that I might have left out one of the biggest details. And in the most subtle way, it was, how are you going to leave out the biggest thing in your life? And so I got to let y'all know that actually at the beginning of last month, I got engaged to Shelby, who is my fiance now. So hopefully that'll win me a couple of grounding points. Um, but as we kick off tonight, I want to just start with a story of when I was in college. Uh, there was a party that was super exclusive. And this wasn't just a normal party. Like, they had limos that would shuttle you from campus to the party and back. Uh, there was free food. Any college party with free food is above the, the standard. Um, but I also think about, they had lights, they had smoke machines, they had all of these things. But the biggest thing was that it was an exclusive party. You had to have an invite. If you didn't know the host of the party, you couldn't get in. And so me and my teammates, we're just freshmen. We had barely made it on campus. And we heard about it, and we're like, man, we want to go. And everyone's like, there's no way you're going to get in. And they're like, they only invite all the girls. And then if you're not a part of the frat, then you're not getting in that party. And so we're like, all right. We start plotting of what are we going to do to get in. And then out of nowhere, one of our teammates actually ended up being a part of that frat. And he goes, hey, I can get you guys in. We're like, what? Are you serious? Like, he's like... No, like for real, I know them, like they'll, they'll let me bring whoever. And so me and my teammates got to go to the most exclusive party at our school as freshmen. And I just think about it, when we got in, we're looking around and we're just amazed. And then it really set in that if we didn't know him, that we'd be left outside the door, just like the other people who weren't worthy, the people who didn't get the invite. The only reason we were in there is because of who we knew. It had nothing to do with who we were. We didn't have access. We weren't enough. And so I just ponder the question of, have you ever been in a situation that you could only get access to a place based on who you knew? Tonight, we're going to talk about how it is by grace through faith that we are saved. But also, we got to know who grants the grace so that we can be saved. Grace and faith can be two very churchy words. And so just to start, start out the gate, I want to define those because they're going to be used throughout. But grace is defined as the free gift of favor shown from God. And then faith is trust or confidence in someone or something. So the seats you're sitting in, before you sat down, you had to have faith that it was going to hold you or you would be standing right now. And so when we really just put this together, it's such a complex of what, how do faith and grace come together to save us? And so tonight, we're going to pick up right, right where we left off. And so in my last message, I talked about Peter. And we really focused on the denial. And if we continue on in the, the order, then the next thing we get to is that both, let's see. Jesus was then placed on trial. And we have Herod and Pilate. These are two people that could free Jesus from being crucified. 
And as we go throughout it, neither one of them could find any fault in Jesus. And they actually present him as innocent in front of the people. And yet the people still argue that we want him crucified. So much to the point that there was a murderer named Barabbas that was right there beside him and they had the chance to release one or the other and they chose a known murderer and chose to crucify Jesus. And so now we are at the crucifixion and that's where we're gonna camp out tonight. And so if you're reading in your Bible, we're gonna go to Luke 23, verses 32 through 43. I'll give you a minute to get there because I know not everybody knows. (laughs) All right, so starting at verse 32, it says, two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And then they divided up his clothes by casting out lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others, let him save himself. If he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung, hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. I love this story because it is the most straightforward simplification of salvation. And so we're gonna take a look tonight at what we can learn from Jesus' interaction with the thief on the cross. And so if you're taking notes, point number one is this. Jesus has the power to save. Jesus has the power to save. So let me paint this picture. I'm just gonna humble myself real quick for it. If we go swimming, and it's you, me, and some other friends, and you start to drown, if you look at me, and you say, hey, come save me, you as good as dead. I'm just gonna let you know, you are as good as dead. I can swim enough to have fun. I can swim just enough to keep myself safe. But I am not a strong enough swimmer to go and save someone else. Like when I get in the water, the minute I stop moving my arms, I sink straight to the bottom. It's not a good combo. And so when I think about this, no matter the intention I may have, the heart I may have for you, no matter what I wanna do in my power, I'm not gonna be able to save you if you're drowning. And so the same thought can be said that if the person you're looking at to save you doesn't have the power, then what is it worth? You're looking at something that is completely hopeless. And so when I think about just the beginning of this passage, three different times every insult said towards Jesus was essentially this, if you are the Messiah, then save yourself. They're basically saying, if you have the power, then save yourself. And I really just camped out at this. If Jesus is fully God and fully man, he had the power to save himself. If he is just a man, then all the noble things he did, they mean nothing. He was just a man. 
eternity was not in his hands. And so he was just someone that we, there's no need for me to be here even speaking about him. But we see countless accounts where he told the world that I am who I am. In John 10, 30, he says, I and the Father are one. John 4, 25 through 26, the Samaritan woman says, I know that the Messiah is coming. And Jesus responds saying, I am he. One of the most amazing accounts in the Bible is in Luke 9, verse 28. And it's where Jesus is transfigured into being fully God in, in front of Peter, James, and John. That means like in, in that moment, if you go back and read it, it says his glory was fully shining. They got to see him as fully God. And so it's so amazing that we have all these accounts of him truly being who he says he is. But when I look at it, the miracles raising the dead, casting out demons, healing the blind, healing the crippled, they're all great wonders. But the main point is this, if the resurrection is false, then our sins have not been paid in blood. Thankfully, we got to see also the accounts of not only Jesus dying, but the most significant part, him resurrecting. Because if he doesn't defy the grave, hope is lost. And so I just think about this. We get such celebration out of the fact that we have the account that Jesus died, but three days later he rose. He defied death, and because of that, we can know that he does have the power to save. So much to the point that we have Doubt and Thomas it was like, hey, I don't believe it. Like, he's seeing him right in front of him, but I don't believe it. And Jesus opens up his hands. He says, come and touch the holes. Come and see that this is real. He's letting them know, like, this isn't a game. And so I think of this. If Jesus had the power to save himself, then that means he made a choice to die for us. He made a choice. Out of his love for us, he cried out to the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we see the, the heartache that he has to where he's crying out. He's asking the disciples, pray, pray with me because my heart is burdened. But even in that moment, he made a decision and he never turned back. We get to see again right after that when Peter cuts off the soldier's ear that's coming to, to grab Jesus and Jesus stops him. And he says, don't you know I could call down a legion of angels to take care of this in any moment? But in that same voice, he says, but then how will the scriptures be fulfilled? He's essentially saying, how will you then be saved? How will this really take place? You don't get it, I have to do this. They made fun of Jesus saying, save yourself, not understanding that the only way Jesus could save others is by not saving himself. Ironically, they were asking for death and Jesus even says, they know not what they are doing. They're asking for their own damnation. And Jesus says, they know not what they're doing. There's a quote by Robert Solomon, and it's from a book that he wrote called A Feast for the Soul. And he summarizes this so well. He says, what if Christ had not died on the cross? Then there would be no atonement for our sins. We would still be headed for eternal damnation. All the little pleasures on earth would only be a momentary distraction from certain and ultimate doom for every mem member of the human race. He's essentially saying, again, if Christ doesn't do this, then this life we live, it really is just this. The, the small things that you account to in the couple of years that you have, that's all that, that'll ever be. When you go back to dust, it's, it's over. How sad would that be? So isn't it good news to know that the one who saves has the power to save? 
Again, the one who saves has the power to save. But what's worse than being in a position of danger and needing to be saved is being in danger and not knowing that you need to be saved. I think about this, like I used to watch Animal Planet a ton as a kid, like it was just on the TV. And I always just really tuned in whenever there was like a baby animal, just sitting there. Like you got a little gazelle, it's just sitting there grazing. And then you have this huge lion come up. And I don't know about y'all, I got a compassionate heart for animals. And so I'm just sitting there looking and to me, the hardest thing was always realizing that that gazelle doesn't even know that it's in danger. It does not know what is lurking over them. And in the same way, what does it look like when we don't know that we're in danger? And so point two for tonight is that you have to know you need saving. You have to know you need saving. So going back to the passage, verse 39 through 43, says, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, don't you fear God, he said. Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So when I really look at this story, there's two criminals. In other gospel accounts, it says that both of them hurled insults at the beginning. Luke is the only one that really gives us the picture of the one who somewhere in there, we see a difference. So in this moment, taking place in one of them is an honest self-awareness. When we see him, one says, save yourself and us, and the other says, do you not fear God? He completely rebukes him. And so I imagine if they both started off hurling insults and then one of them changed their heart, what took place on the cross beside him that made him just completely change his heart? There had to be something, because you don't go from an angry criminal who's just ready to die you're in your final moments, you have nothing left to prove to go into defending the man who's on the middle cross, saying, do you not understand that that is God? The first thing I come to is this, was it the proximity to Christ that he realized the measure of goodness was beside him and not him? When you draw near to God, you become more aware of yourself in the true measure of comparison. I mean, think of this, imagine being tortured you and the two people beside you, and then one of them just utters out, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. Compassion like that doesn't make sense to us. And at least it doesn't to me. Because I know for me, I could never fathom having that type of forgiveness in the midst of being beaten. But I look at it this way. It's easy to be self-righteous when we're comparing to that of the world. I think of this, it's, it's so easy when we, we're looking at what we're doing, we're like, hey, at least I'm not doing that. Hey, I might be here, but I've never done that. I've never got that low into it. And in reality, it's like, man, is the, the measure of goodness the world? We're trying to be different from the world, then why are we comparing to it? And so somewhere in there, we have to change our view of the comparison and the measure of good is not the world. It's not how much you can beat out the person beside you, but it's how well can you measure up to the one above, the one who died for you. And so, like, I, to really paint this picture, I think about it this way. Like, I was a pretty successful high school wrestler. I won a state title, I was pretty good by the standard in Louisiana. 
And then I remember I'm like, ah, I got this. I got recruited to college. And then after a couple matches of getting pinned, I got extremely humbled to realize the measure of a high school champion being good and a college national champion are not the same. And so unless you change your, your view of the bar, you're always gonna be shooting for the minimum. And you're never gonna understand that you're called to so much more. And so the one thief realized this and he could see he deserved his death justly for the crimes he committed. He then recognized Jesus as an innocent man. And then through what we can only imagine is divine revelation, he recognizes Jesus as Messiah and says, remember me in your kingdom. We don't know any context of the thief having prior faith. And so just let that be said, but you can't explore a thought that maybe he encountered Jesus somewhere along the, the way. I mean, Jesus' ministry had become pretty famous. That's why he's on the cross. It had, it had grown to the point where it concerned the Roman government. So you can imagine most people had heard at some point, but we have to imagine that even if he did have this encounter, he never made the choice to respond to it. He just continued on in his life. Or we can go down the other line. He was a lifelong criminal with no knowledge of Jesus or his mission. Either way, he had enough spiritual insight to recognize Jesus is innocent, that Jesus can save him, and he responds to it. The thief experienced Christ and showed his faith in rebuking the other. The other criminal, and then asking to be remembered. And so I just think of this. Once you come face to face with Christ, you have to respond. Whether you think so or not, there's two responses here. You can ignore it and you can continue to live your life as if it's in your own hands. Or you can understand that this is the one who can truly save you and make a decision. But one way or another, eternity is coming. And so you have to pick a side. I even think about just the, the whole picture of this story. You have the people who are crucifying Jesus. And then at one point it says you have the crowd that is just sitting there watching. And then you have the criminal who actually responds in faith. You have all three. You have hot, you have lukewarm, and you have cold. And we see it played out in the story. That's the same way we live today. You're somewhere in one of those three. And if you're not careful, you'll end up missing it. And so one thief is limited in only seeing the possibility of being saved physically. He mocked Jesus like the soldiers in crowd. But he did, however, say, save yourself and us. And I think that's just so funny. He's like, I don't really believe in you, but if you are gonna save yourself, hey, include me in there. Like, I wanna get off, off of this cross too. And so he's at least conscious enough to know that in some ways his current situation could be changed. But he could only see how it, it affected his right now, his earthly circumstances. The other knew he faced the earthly consequences for his sin but then he also saw that there could be freedom in Jesus' kingdom. He realized no matter how bad things are on earth, eternity awaited and he needed saving. And there's hope in that. It doesn't matter what your life looks like here. It could be complete hell, but know that in submitting yourself to Christ, there is freedom. There is a heaven that is pure paradise that is waiting. Don't get caught up in your circumstances and be left like one of the thieves that just accepts life here and says it doesn't get better than this. Know that there is hope in the gospel. Know that there is hope for you to be saved. 
And so the bad news is you need saving. Romans 3, 23 through 25 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory, the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of blood to be received by faith. And so the bad news is that we need saving. But the good news is to know that we need saving, but it comes from the grace of God. It's not limited to the judgment of others, but of God. And so if you're taking notes, my third point is this. There has to be a sense of urgency. There has to be a sense of urgency. The thief made his proclamation of faith while on his deathbed. He didn't have a chance to live a life of faithfulness after this. And so that means he couldn't go get in a small group. He couldn't serve on our Tuesday team. He couldn't go and do all the things. He couldn't pray the sinner's prayer. He was stuck there in that moment. And so many times I've heard this message and heard the response of it as if like, hey, I can wait until I get on my deathbed and I can just make it through. This sequence of events on the cross is not an excuse to wait until you're on your dying deathbed to walk in faith. If you're asking yourself, what is the minimum I can do to get by with Christ, you're missing it because your heart is in the wrong place. You miss the gospel. If you are thinking in the mentality of how can I abuse grace just enough to get by, then your heart hasn't changed. You gotta understand, once Christ comes into your life, there has to be something different. You're called to deny yourself and walk in a different direction. And so if you're just sitting there, how close can I get to the line, then are you denying yourself? Or are you just gambling with how close can I get to the edge before it's too much? True life change should show. The goal isn't to strive to be like the thief on the cross and catch heaven in the final moments. Proverbs 27.1 says this, do not boast about tomorrow for you do not know what a day may bring forth. Do not boast about tomorrow for you do not know what a day may bring forth. Another way this is mentioned is in Luke 9, verse 62. In the message translation, it says that Jesus says, no procrastination, no backward looks. You can't put God's kingdom off till tomorrow. Seize the day. I think about this. Life can happen at you so fast. I got to share with some of you a couple weeks ago, but I got the experience firsthand when a couple months ago, my life was completely changed. When I'm going from leaving just a, a simple charity golf tournament to I make it around the corner and all of a sudden I wake up on the side of the road. I get to the hospital and to hear a doctor utter the words, son, you are lucky to be alive. It changes the perspective of what you have for a single day. Because I think about it like this. No one sent me a text saying, hey, you're gonna be flirting with death today. And in the same way, no one's gonna shoot you a text saying, hey, you got an hour, it's time to get right. Hey, you got at least one more day, it's time to, to go get right with Jesus. You're not gonna have that. You don't know when your final moment is. And so you're playing an extremely dangerous game to sit there and gamble with eternity thinking you have one more time. One of my favorite quotes in life is this, procrastination is an arrogant assumption that you will have the chance tomorrow to do what you should today. Procrastination is an arrogant assumption that you will have the chance tomorrow to do what you should today. You see, there's no guarantee that tomorrow's coming. 
there's no guarantee that you have the next moment. And so to keep putting it off, you just might not make it. You just might miss it by this much. What a shame it'd be to miss heaven by this much, by the one hour that you thought you had. So eternity was moments away for the thief. He needed Jesus' grace and he asked knowing he didn't deserve it, that he couldn't earn it, and he was granted that grace through faith. And so my challenge to you is, act now. Are you ready to submit your life to Christ? To give up your life, deny yourself, and follow Jesus' way? Are you ready to live a life of faithfulness? Which simply means, are you ready to walk in obedience? But you have to know that even if you get into this mindset, that the measure of your works will never measure up. The measure of your works will never measure up. This is important because no matter what we do, we are sinners and we cannot take credit for our salvation. The minute we believe we save ourselves in any capacity, we have discredited everything that Jesus did on the cross. To think that for any moment, the hour a week that you give by coming to service, the extra hour you may give to come in here to the gathering, the two hours you give to your small group, the few prayers you say during the week that most of the time are simply to gratify ourselves and ask for something, if you think in any way that measures up to the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross, you are missing it. You don't understand the magnitude of what was done for you. And so one verse that really just paints the picture of this is Ephesians 2, uh, verse seven through nine. And it says this, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so no one man can boast. It paints it out so perfectly there. It is a gift from God to even have this grace. Just because you have access to it doesn't mean you, you have earned it in any type of way. It was given to you. There is nothing you can do to earn it. But that does not mean that you do not walk in faithfulness to make sure that you take every advantage of it. And so we have no claim to the saving grace other than through Jesus' sacrifice, we have access to the gift of grace. One of the best illustrations I've seen of this and it's a clip that went viral, and it's from a pastor named Alistair Begg. And he paints the vivid image of the thief on the cross making it to heaven, being interrogated by angels. And so I just wanna read that for you real quick. And Alistair says, think about the thief on the cross. What an immense story. He says, I can't wait to find the fellow one day and ask him, how did you shake out, how did that shake out for you? He says, because you were cussing out the guy with your friend, and then you, you'd never been in a Bible study, you never got baptized, you didn't know a thing about church membership, and yet you made it. Somehow you made it. How did you make it? And then he paints the picture of what it must have looked like that there was an angel that must have said, hey, what are you doing here? And the guy's just like, I don't know. 
No, like, what do you mean you don't know? Like, what are you doing here? I'm telling you, I don't know. I just, I talked to a guy and I'm here. Well, do you know anything of how you got here? Hey, man, I already told you. Like, you can ask me as many times as you want, but I don't know how I got here. And then the angel's like, you know what, let me go get my supervisor. Some of y'all been at work with a, with a hard customer and just had to leave. It's like, I'm gonna go get my supervisor. This person just isn't responding. And so he paints the picture of, again, the supervisor angel comes. All right, so we've just got a few questions for you. First of all, are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? And the guy's probably like, I don't even know how to spell that, let alone say it. Like, what are you talking about? I've never heard of it in my life. Well, what about, what about the, the saving scriptures? Do you know anything about like, the scriptures that you need to read? And the guy's just staring at him. And eventually he just goes, on what basis are you here? And I imagine he just simply says, man, the man on the middle cross said I can come. If that's not good enough for you, I don't know what it is, but the only reason I'm here is the man right there said I could come. The only answer to why we are saved is that grace through faith in the man on the middle cross, because a sinless savior died on the cross for us, he pardoned us and he set us free. So what do we do with this? I just have a few questions for you. One, ponder on this thought. Do you believe that Jesus died and resurrected? Because before we get to anything else, if you don't believe that he died and resurrected, essentially what you're saying is, I don't believe he had the power to save me, so I don't believe that he did. So do you believe in your heart that Jesus rose from the dead, and then do you accept him as your savior? My second question is this. You may come to this conclusion, but have you responded to it? Have you taken up the thought of I have to deny myself and follow? If you're not denying yourself, then how can you be following? Just really think of that. If you're not denying yourself, are you really following? And then my final question is this. Have you missed it? I talked about the person who sometimes they, they see just how far to the edge can they get? How much sin can I dabble in to still be able to grasp this grace and not overdo it? But that's not the only person that concerns me of, do you, have you got it? There's also some of us that have just gotten caught up in playing church. We show up, we go to church, we go to our small group, we're hearing all the things but if we're really honest with ourselves, we've never felt it. We've never made any change. We're just doing what we think we're supposed to. It's so easy to live in the Bible belt and mom always took me to church. It's all I've ever known, so I just go. But do you know why you're going or have you missed it? So I wanna leave you with these questions and just pray for you. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for the moment to just receive your message. I ask that you would be with each and every person in this room as they ponder these thoughts, that you would allow them to, to see crystal clear the sacrifice that you sent in your son on the cross. 
that we'd all be able to see that in the same way that the thief had access to Christ, that we do as well. And that through that, we can ask, access your saving grace. And so God, I just ask that you would begin to move in, in the spirits in this room, that you would allow us to be very self-aware and conscious of where we are with you and to make a decision, to know that we're not guaranteed tomorrow and that one way or another, we have to make a decision. The lack of, of an answer is an answer in itself. Amen.